afternoon and good evening. Thank you for tuning into the Divine Nobody's podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ajna. I'm joined by the elusive Jennifer Lynn. Jennifer, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Very good. Good to have everybody back. This is a show where we explore the various dimensions of spiritual awakening in our modern world. We have a wonderful show kind of lined up for you guys. So once again, thank you for tuning in. How was your, your weekend, Jen? It was pretty good. You know, just spent the majority of the weekend trying to clear my house out and get rid of a ghost that I have here. Wait, so. wait what? Yeah. A yeah. Ghost. Yeah. I have a little ghost, um, really? a little poltergeist kind of hanging around. Oh, so, what happened with that? Well, so I enlisted the help of, of a lady in LA actually that does mm. home healings. And yeah. um, the information she gave me was that we the, we live on sacred land and yeah. at one point Indians lived here. Yeah. And then when the white man moved in, rerouted their river yeah. to kind of force them out. Yeah. So, and then there was obviously a genocide here. So wow. unfortunately there is a negative vortex that is pretty close to our house. So yeah, I, she said within a half mile. So well, um, I actually hear a lot about stories like that, especially in Orange County. There's yeah. a, mm -hmm. a place, I mean, this whole land, just like you said, probably has that type of history, mm -hmm. but there's a, another location. I think it, they, they call it Black Star Canyon. And I think it's located in the Where's Irvine, that? in the Irvine Hills, like the Irvine Mountains. Okay. And, I don't know um, where that is exactly. I'm going to have to look. Yeah. Down. So the story is pretty much the same. Um, it's this, this sort of large block of land that people, it's turned into a trail so people can go hiking there. Mm -hmm. But there's all these stories around, um, at one point, the Native Americans lived there and then somehow they got ransacked um, by the settlers. Yeah. So there's this really powerful energy there right. and get a lot of like mixed stories about it. But it's interesting because I hear a lot about that sort of thing in Orange County. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what exactly happened? Well, so this has happened a couple of times. So before, whenever we moved into this house, this house was vacant for a couple of years before we moved in. Yeah. So whenever there's no human energy in a space, the spiritual realm kind of takes over. Yeah. So, um, she, this same woman has helped me multiple times. Um, the last time was very dramatic and a mm -hmm. lot of activity, like very similar to a poltergeist movie, like lights turning on and off TV, turning on toilet flushing at the same time, cabinet doors opening up, um, you know, art relocating itself, mm -hmm. just things like that. So, um, that, yeah. that was pretty traumatic and, and kind yeah. of scary. Yeah. Um, so she was able to clear the space out and then I've done my part in feng shuiing the house and playing the gong and yeah. crystals and chimes and all of that. So, um, for the last eight months we've been good, but, um, we had a new visitor and nothing like the first time. I mean, this was much more mild, yeah. but, um, we went out for our anniversary and left one of the ring cameras to watch the dogs. Yeah. And on the camera was just a ton of orbs, just orbs yeah. everywhere, just cruising. Some were cruising slow, some fast, but, um, yeah. all over the camera. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. And, so. and I imagine, I mean, cause you have the gong in there. Yeah. Right. And that's the relatively new sort of, uh, item that you had in the home. Yeah. So I think like whenever you get into um, using really powerful tools like that, um, if there is energy in this space, which you say that there is because it's mm -hmm. in that in and around that vortex, I imagine if there are any negative type of energies here that that gong kind of does its job of trying to move, move a lot of that energy out. Yeah. And move them outside. Yeah. And actually it's kind of funny that you say that because I've been playing the gong every morning yeah. to kind of help 
clear out the space right. and um the whenever she came to clear the house yeah. um the that negative entity was outside yeah. So it was in our backyard, just kind of hanging out, trying to come in through the back doors. Yeah. Um, but the gong was help, helping to clear and protect the space. Yeah. And Plus think, the angels, right? Yeah. Like all the orbs on the on the camera yeah. was like the angels. And I imagine, especially right now on our planet, we have that sort of three-dimensional realm kind of intermingling with the fourth dimension. Now, the fourth dimension is always there. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have heightened energy on our planet, particularly more fear-based type of energy, it leaves other people that aren't as, um, how would I say, privy to energy work to be influenced by a lot of these type of energies. Right. You know, and, mm-hmm. I, and I would go as far as to say that those negative entities or energies that exist on our planet are working alongside of a lot of maybe these government officials or mm-hmm. even the people on our planet that are causing a lot of havoc. Right. You know, yeah. and that's why it's so important to like really develop a practice and um, shielding your energy from these type of things, especially now. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So continue playing the gong. I feel like uh, that's going to shake things up a little bit, but in the end, I I think there's probably an admixture of your angels and your guides and other type of energy that's really there to support you as well as in the space. Oh, for sure. And it was really cool to see, um, how the animals interact with it too, yeah. right? Because the animals are so sensitive and they can see and experience and feel things that we can't. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were watching them on the cameras and they were just, you know, their heads are going around the room, barking yeah. at it and, you know, chasing it around. I thought it was really, really kind of cool. Yeah, that's the same thing with cats too. Yeah, They actually used to um, put cats on at the entrances of a lot of the, the places in Egypt. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. of course they saw them as sacred animals. You can see them on uh, a lot of the hieroglyphs, um, but they believed that, you know, cats had the ability to see into these other realms mm-hmm. and they were also protectors. Yeah. You know, so maybe you should get a cat. Yeah. Actually, we were talking about getting a cat. It's funny you say that. Really? Yeah. 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 yeah I think it, it couldn't hurt, but in fact, it, when you talk about the, the energy in these vortexes, I was researching the other day about, I think, the nature of those, because I think this is something that kind of been going on with you for a while. And it was really, really interesting to me um, as to what exactly the nature of that is. So I I was reading about it. Yeah, I've never even heard of a negative energy vortex. This was the very first time whenever she was telling me about it, I was like, I thought vortexes were only like good energy. Because you think like Sedona and Mount Shasta and like those places, that's what I think when I hear energy vortex, yeah, but yeah, not that think, it would spin the opposite direction yeah. and bring negativity. Like it's almost like a suck of energy. Right. I think the difference as far as what I've researched is that positive energy um, comes from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the, the negative energy vortex is something that I think that kind of goes from the top down, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it makes me think of these ley lines. So apparently our entire planet is surrounded by this sort of grid. You can almost look at it as a grid and they, they call it basically sort of like the veins of earth. Mm-hmm. There are all of these different sort of energy um, highways that go from all across the globe. And it was first um, brought up by this fellow named John Mitchell. And he talked about it in his book, The View Over Atlantis. He called them energy highways or ley lines. And it says uh, energy peaks um, at spaces where the ley lines intersect. So whenever you have Mm -hmm. a ley line that maybe goes from east to west, Mm -hmm. there are these series of different ley lines that intersect. And a lot of where those most like potent energy vortexes are 
exist at those intersections. Intersections, right? yeah. Right. And so you, this is where you have uh, really a lot of different sacred sites. Right. Right. So if you're thinking of like places like Mount Shasta or Lake Titicaca or Stonehenge, yeah. these places are placed on these ley lines. Right. You know, so, and I actually did some research on it and the earth also has chakras, right? So we have the, the seven chakras, right? We have mm -hmm. like the root, the sacral, solar plexus and everything else. So yeah. Mm -hmm. But the earth actually has its own form of those. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they're actually placed me? on these ley lines. Oh, right? oh and, well, shit. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll go over actually the list really quickly because I thought it was really interesting. So the root, the, the root chakra of the earth is Mount Shasta. Oh, right? how about that? The, the sacral is Lake Titicaca. Uh -huh. The solar is Uluru, and the heart is Stonehenge, and then the throat chakra is the Great Pyramid of Jerusalem mm. in that area. Yeah. They're not approximate, although some of them may be. And then the crown is Mount Kailas. This is uh, somewhere located in the Himalayan mountains. And then you have other um, sacred sites that maybe aren't positioned more around the intersections, but, you know, Bermuda Triangle, Sedona is also one of these places. Right. And um, when you look up the history of these ley lines, it is a bit obscure. It really kind of narrows itself down to the experiential quality of it, which means it's word of mouth. Like people go to these different areas, they right. experience different types of things, and they go check it out for themselves pretty much. Yeah. And that was something that I did myself when I took that journey to Mount Shasta earlier in the year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I'm yeah. excited. I'm yeah. excited that, that we're talking about this. Yeah, this is a good story. Well, I want to I want to talk about it cuz it was a really powerful experience. Mm -hmm. You know, people go to Mount Shasta for a lot of different reasons. Most of those reasons being that uh it also has its own sort of vortex of energy. Right. Right. And you've been to Sedona. Yeah, I love and Sedona. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. Yeah. When it's you awesome. went when you went to Sedona, did you feel uh a sort oh, of heightened for sure. Yeah. Like there's no there's no ignoring it. You know, yeah. anybody that has been to Sedona, even if you're not a spiritual person at all, yeah. you can feel it. I mean, it's in the air. It's Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just such a calming, wonderful, beautiful place. Yeah. And I'm, I imagine it probably has like a really otherworldly vibe. It really does. Yeah. It really does. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Words now, can't describe. And Mount Shasta was the same thing. Like I'm naturally a very skeptic, per skeptical person. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I believe things to a certain extent. Right. But just like anybody, you know, when someone tells you a fantastical story about anything, you want to do the research and experience it yourself. Right. So that's pretty much exactly what I did. And so I think it was in January and it was kind of off season, but we decided to go there anyways. It was me and my partner at the time and there was still snow there. So there's, there's lots of snowfall there. So um, to talk about my journey to Mount Shasta, when we got there, I'm talking like the second we entered into the limits, the city limits of Mount Shasta, mm -hmm. it hit me, right? And I've only heard the stories that other people have told me about Mount Shasta. So yeah. I had the objective of um, having my own sort of mystical and, uh, you know, experience like that. Right. And I, I essentially know and feel that it is a sacred place, but how it would affect me and how it would impact me was something that I wasn't sure of yet. So when I got there, uh, we were driving and we took the exit off of the freeway. 
Mm-hmm. And this, literally the second that I got off the freeway, I just felt this wave of energy flow through me. Wow. You know, like it, it flowed through me. And at first it, it's something that you, you know, you think you're prepared for, but you don't know how energy is going to influence your body. Right. Because at the same time, while that energy is flowing through you, I think the, the, the one, first thing that happens is the ego starts to freak out because it's like, what is this? Right. Right. It's, it, it, and it produces that sort of flight or fight response in your body. It can kind of reinforce itself as like, you know, feeling bits of like cortisol or adrenaline. So mm-hmm. right away I had to sort of ground myself and just, you know, say to myself that things were okay. I was in a safe container and uh, my partner at the time was really, really compassionate and loving and told me more or less that this is, this is, this is what it is. Like, this is the energy. So wow. you have to just sort of accept it, let it flow through you. And we had to kind of park for a minute. Yeah. And I, I sat there and she looked at me and she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, it's just, it's like so intense. Right. Right. And she says, everybody goes through this because when you go and you have that energy moving through your body, any sort of, you know, shadow you have in these dark spaces that are being illuminated by the light, mm-hmm. it's going to clear out. Yeah. Everybody goes through it because everybody has that. Right. Right. So obviously mine kind of reinforced itself as just some fear, like a little bit of fear. Right. But when I opened up to it and I found my grounding and I sort of just took a few deep grounding breaths, Mm -hmm. it, you can feel your consciousness sort of elevating to this place. Right. Right. Yeah. So it was a really beautiful feeling. It did take me some time to sort of integrate with that. So we actually parked and, and uh, walked around a little bit. And uh, we got back into the car and just started driving a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I, I had this feeling in my mind that like, wow, this is the energy that I'm going to have to work with for the next week or so. Oh my gosh, and how was, exhausting. No, no, no. It was, <laughs> was a, it cool? It was, a, it was a really amazing experience. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was just something that you normally don't feel in your just standard 3D realm. Yeah, for sure. You know? And a lot of things come across my mind. Okay, well, obviously the elevation is really high. You know, the, the mm-hmm. elevation is is definitely a lot higher than it is in, say, like just some regular city in Los Angeles. So I thought for right. a second, well, maybe it's because I'm just really high. Yeah. You know, but I definitely don't think that's what it was. Yeah. You know. No. Yeah. So we went to Mount Shasta. We did like this Airbnb at this place um, called Guru Shasta. And they normally book these things for like retreats and things like that. So mm-hmm. right when you walk in, there's just... A lot of um, sort of new age, you know, decor and stuff yeah. like that. So it was a really beautiful space, you know. So uh, we had made uh, just some plans to go and explore the mountain. And uh, I don't know if you you heard about this, but the reason why people are drawn to Mount Shasta not is, isn't just because of the energy vortex there, mm-hmm. but because of why that energy vortex in that portal is there, right? Right. And so there is this ancient civilization, which are called the Telos, that live at the base of this mountain. Interesting. So they live at the base of the mountain or inside the mountain? Inside the mountain. Inside the mountain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Inside the mountain. Have you heard about that? Yeah. I, a little bit. Like I'm not super well educated on it. So yeah. please so enlighten the, me. The Telos, it's, so there was, if you've heard of the ancient civilization of Lemuria. 
Yes. Oh, right. okay. So these are Lemurians yeah, or Lemurians. like descendants of Lemurians? Yeah, they're they're essentially Lemurians. Okay. And they existed back during the time that Atlantis and Lemuria were kind of around. Got it. So okay. Atlantis and Lemuria sort of coexisted with each other, but they were on different areas of the planet. Right. And um, they were actually, there was, a, I think, a preface version. They actually called them the Moo the Moo civilization. Mm-hmm. And so uh, back when Lemuria was around, um, and I actually read about this um, recently about the Lemurians, apparently the Atlanteans and the Lemurians didn't get along with each other. There was uh, some issues when it came to ideals and I guess their, their spiritual lineages where the Lemurians believed, that I'm just actually gonna read this off, this is actually from a website um, it says the Lemurians believe that the other less evolved cultures should be left alone to continue their own evolution at their own pace and according to their own understandings and pathways, whereas the Atlanteans believed that less evolved cultures should be controlled by the two or more evolved civilizations. And that argument over these ideologies resulted in several thermal nuclear wars, which weaken both continental plates. Yeah. Um, did that come from a book? Because I feel like I've read that. It probably somewhere. came from a book. Yeah. This is a, a, a website dedicated. Well, this is actually a website called ActiveNorCal.com, but oh, you can it. actually find it, I think, on LemurianConnection.com too, where they talk about it. Yeah. But it's a very different type of conversation um, that people are used to because when we think back at Lemuria and uh, Atlantis, Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, a lot of people look at it as just more of like a primitive type of civilization. Right. But the fact that they can have thermal nuclear wars yeah. just shows you at what level of technology they were really running. Right. Absolutely. Know? So they, they uh, I guess, from from the, the stuff that I read, um, a large part of the reason why that civilization sank and it was because of those wars. And I think Edgar Casey talks a lot about it in his channeled messages about Atlantis too. Yeah. You know, so it's that same sort of thing that I think um, maybe that's a part of the Kali Yuga where it's like our civilization gets to a certain point where we're either at war with some other nation, either because of spiritual beliefs or because of money, I guess in our case, that's sort of like the, the moderating force in our world right now. Yeah. Where we get in conflict with other civilizations and then we just start wars and then we basically just blow ourselves up. Yeah. Just wipe everything out. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, I read somewhere that there's geological evidence that um, of Lemuria and Atlanta sinking. Yeah. So um, I guess that was 11,600 years ago, somewhere around that time that the earth went through some kind of like heat spike Mm. and all of these large sheets of ice melted and that collapse mm-hmm. caused the caused the two continents to sink and because of the thermonuclear war the plate tectonics were very weak yeah and then boom underwater yeah so that that was like the major cataclysm of yeah the of wiping that, them out yeah and the thing that i find interesting is that like it, it's sort of like embedded in our history to go into these spaces where we advance in some way whether or not be mm-hmm. through spiritual evolution, which is a good thing, but also in this curiosity towards technological advancement. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of what Edgar T- Casey talks about in his channeled messages is that we got to a place where we were starting to play God. Yeah. 
right? We started cloning people. We started um, extending the, the lifetimes of these people. I think we actually read that the average lifespan was like, you know, 10,000 years or mm-hmm. something like that. Given that the, re- the reason I think is because they had this sort of connection with much higher dimensions. So they weren't right. really tethered to our 3D bodies. Mm-hmm. So they could go in and out of the third and the fifth dimension at will. Yeah. So they were obviously at a much higher um, realm of consciousness. But it's interesting how the pattern sort of repeats itself, where we get mm-hmm. to this place where we play God and essentially blow ourselves up. Right. Right. So Mount Shasta, uh, apparently when Lemurians, Lemurians sank, these people migrated over to this area of California, which is now California, and they decided to kind of shelter themselves and just develop the civilization underneath this mountain. And because they are multidimensional beings, what they did, they actually made a pact or they made an agreement with the, uh, the Galactic Federation of Planets mm-hmm. to allow them to stay underneath this mountain and essentially be invisible to any sort of human mm-hmm. as a way to protect themselves from any sort of outside force. But they had to right. prove to this federation that they had learned from the cataclysm that happened in, in their city. Right. You know, so the Telos are pretty much from Lemuria. And mm-hmm. uh, as far as what I've read, the Lemurians were actually largely influenced also too by several extraterrestrial races of people mm-hmm. or uh, uh, lineages of aliens and um, some of those actually being the Syrians. And so people go to Mount Shasta for a lot of different reasons. One, they want to experience this and kind of see it for themselves. There's this actually this movement called the I Am Movement that is, as far as I understand, it's, it's like a, more of like a, a Christian sort of mystery school Right. where um, they follow St. Germain because mm-hmm. uh, apparently St. Germain has been seen and felt in that area. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. You can actually go online and you, if you ever hashtag like St. Germain, there are people that get these photographs that have this really like purple hue. It's almost like a, like a purple light. Mm-hmm. And people intuitively feel that this is St. Germain. And when you go there, and I think it's interesting because you don't get a hue like that really anywhere else. Yeah. You know, so I do feel that there is something there you know i wonder if that's where the name of saint germain came from the alcohol have you ever had that no saint germain no <laughs> it's pretty good <laughs> no no never tried the saint germain alcohol but i imagine if you took a swig of that all of a sudden he'd appear <laughs> you know i wish that'd be so awesome yeah the, the one thing that's interesting that i ended up seeing with my eyes the days following mount actually uh, arriving there is mm-hmm. that you have these clouds and they're called lenticular clouds, mm-hmm. if, if you want to look at the more scholarly approach to it. And if you, lenticular clouds, it's, it's basically like these clouds that have these sort of circular formations to them. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't know what they were, you'd think, holy shit, there's aliens right there. Oh, totally. Because they look like ships. Yeah, I've seen pictures of them. They're awesome. They are awesome. They're really, really cool. And, and there's, there's two schools of thought when it comes to that sort of thing. Some of them think it's just sort of like a random weather occurrence. Mm-hmm. And some people also think that they are alien spacecrafts. Yeah. And uh, from my kind of experience being there, there's a large part of me that feels that they are definitely alien spacecrafts. Yeah. You know, when you go into Mount Shasta, uh, a lot of the city is privy to this sort of thing. Right when you get in there, there are crystal, there, there is an entire street filled 
with crystal shops, right? So you go in there and there's crystals. You can find all different types of things to bend singing bowls, crystal singing bowls. And if you spark up a conversation with the locals, they'll tell you all about it. Mm-hmm. And they talk about it like it's no big deal. Oh yeah, those are the ships over Mount Shasta. Yeah. yeah. And um, from what I've read, you have these extraterrestrial races that at some point in our history helped the Lemurians with a lot of their technology and they still come down to visit them. And that's when you see those ships in the sky. Mm-hmm. Really, I think essentially what you're seeing are these aliens sort of coming down, interact with them inside of the mount. Yeah. You know, so it's like a really, really interesting thing. And you apparently you can feel Pleiadians there. You can feel Arcturians there. And uh, Mount Shasta is a part of the Cascade Mountain Range. And it's located in the Siskiyou County in Northern California. It's about 45 minutes for from the Oregon border. Mm-hmm. And Lemuria sank over... 12,000 years ago. Yeah. Right. So these people have been living under this mountain for a long fucking time. A long time. You know, and so you can do several different things when you're in Mount Shasta. Most people, they'll just take a trip up to the mountain. You know, and the one thing that I noticed is once we started driving up towards the mountain, the energy got surprisingly more intense. Wow. You know, I've got to go there. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, you definitely should. Uh, We didn't actually go to the the mountain first. What we Mm -hmm. ended up doing is we went to this Can you hike the mountain? You can. And there's like no restrictions, everybody's cool with it? Yeah, you can climb all the way to the top. Did you see any aliens? Well, I'll get to that. I'll get to the aliens thing. But I want to cover all the grounds because this was a really special experience for me. I, I, I became a skeptic and I left a believer. Yeah. Right, so uh, there's a whole lot of- What do you mean you're a skeptic? Even the U.S. government came out and said, yes, we have aliens. I mean, no, no, it no. didn't get a lot of attention because of COVID, but. Yeah, well, that's a different thing. Yeah. Because I go off of my experience and, and, and just, you know, doing my own research about it and knowing how vast the universe is and, you know, my venture into new age spirituality, like I know that they exist because right. it would be, you know, I feel like it would be disingenuous of me to say that we're the only civilization in this entire fucking universe. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they're, they're absolutely, I, I mean, I'm a skeptic with, you know, things that can come off like a little too woo woo, you know? And, <laughs> I love that term. That's yeah, the best term. And, and I feel like, I think that's like a fair assessment. I, I feel like that's the best way to go Yeah, because you don't want to just go around believing everything. Right. You know, so with this thing, you know, it was in kind of arm's reach and I was able to kind of venture in there and make my own decision about whether or not it was real. Mm-hmm. And just based off of my own experiential learning, it's definitely real, right? So we went to this this park and when you go into Mount Shasta, you can find a lot of different streams of water. Yeah. And everybody that you, that, that the locals there, it's like this reservoir of water actually that's drinkable. Like it comes straight from the mountain. So we get to this park and you run into people that are, sort of gathering this water into bottles. They're bottling wow. it, they're taking it home and they're drinking it. So I get there and I mean, aside of just the, the waterfalls and these streams being unbelievably beautiful, um, the people there really believe in the healing powers of this water. Of the water, I was just about to ask that. Yeah, and luckily I, I brought some mason jars with me and so I scooped up some water and uh, made some tea when we got back to uh, the place that we were staying and I felt amazing. Amazing. I alien tea. Alien tea. Exactly. Ah, yes. I mean, it's coming directly from inside the mountain. If the, the, the tea lists are in there. Watch out, Yogi. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's 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 definitely something there. Yeah. You know, so I, I wish that I was able to sort of harvest that and kind of keep more of it. But I, I think it was just special that I was able to experience that. Yeah, that's I cool. I made some tea and we ended up going to like this shop that sold a lot of different products. One of those being Mount Shasta honey. Okay. And it was amazing. All right. Like the honey that they harvest out there with yeah. like the bees and everything. So that kind of combined with the Shasta water. I felt amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Because what ended up happening is I took it after a long day of us actually like hiking and stuff like that. Uh, and I was feeling a little a little sore. So I drank that water and I just felt amazing afterwards. It was wow. like supercharged, you know? Wow. Yeah. Man, I got to go to this place. Yeah. Yeah. Shasta is a really cool place. So, you know, we're going up into the mountain the following day. And uh, you when, when you go to Mount Shasta, you could either go on your own. Mm-hmm and navigate through there by yourself if you want to but there are these places i think there's a place called mount shasta spiritual tours Mm -hmm. where they can pretty much assign you a guide and this guide will kind of walk you through there and show you all the different places that they have experienced this type of activity and i we didn't actually do that because um the person that i was with pretty much knew of all those areas already because she'd been there before oh got it okay so we went to um these different areas and a lot of the places that people go and see are sort of like these landing strips. Cool. Right? They're, they're apparently like these plots of land that extraterrestrial ships sort of wow. come in. Come and, and land. land. Okay. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the time they, they, they will land and they'll sort of produce this sort of psychic type of current for the people that are in and around the area. So you have yeah. a lot of people that, you know, experience these really crazy downloads of information and wisdom from these places. So Whoa. all you have to do is get there. Wow. You know, so. We, and there's like a, a tour that'll take you there or yeah, she just knew how to get there. There's like the crystal shop, sell a map like they do in Sedona where all the border Texas are. Well, there's a tour that you could, you could go on, but um, because she had already gone on that tour, Oh, she, she knew, knew how to get there. The okay. Were, right? Got it. So we go, we're good. We go there and then we're sort of walking through, um, the snow. I mean, and if you're somebody that's not particularly into that, that sort of thing, it's a beautiful place. Right. You know, I've never seen trees and snow in that way. I mean, a lot of people go to Mount Shasta also to do hiking and stuff like that. So, <laughs> you know, it was a really beautiful thing nonetheless. So while we were walking is when it really started for me. Yeah. We were walking to to this sort of landing strip where apparently these ships um, land. And on the way there, I saw this flash of light. But the interesting thing is it wasn't a flash of light that I saw out in front of me. It was a flash of light that I saw from within my eyeball, essentially. Wow. So, you know, like when you when you're uh, when you're around a camera and somebody takes a picture of you. And they have a flash. Yeah. You see that sort of res that the remnants of that flash in your vision for a while. Yeah. Until it goes away. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly the same thing, only there wasn't a camera and there wasn't a flash. Wow. Right. So I was walking and I saw this flash and it hit me just 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 suddenly. And the imprint that it left was an imprint of almost like this weird type of language. And mm-hmm. I mean, I had familiarity with light language because it's something that I sing in my sound healing classes. Right. And then also um, when I was young, and I didn't actually know it right away, you probably find this interesting, but I used to write light language when I was in high school. 
What? Not even realizing what it was. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. And it's it's, it's basically like this. If you see it, it almost looks like a, sort of like futuristic alien hieroglyphs. Okay. And I remember like in school, I'd write it on the board and people would talk shit because they thought it was like witchcraft which of course you know what i mean yeah but the thing when is, you're in school everybody goes to witchcraft right yeah it's like you can't have any other any other belief other than right. you know christianity or witchcraft right and you know you didn't have the resources available like you do now to just hop on the internet and try and figure out what this fucking guy's doing yeah so it's, it's interesting because back in the day it was sort of more black and white right it was just like you're either this or you're that you know and that's essentially why we had so many like really hard stereotypes back then mm-hmm. you know but I didn't know until way later when I kind of went further along my journey that it was light language. And I wish I still had um, either a picture of, you know, those writings or had them in a notebook. I just never saved them. Wow. But I didn't realize that it was something that I'd been writing pretty much all my life. That's cool. And with light language, it's really more about the, the feeling, like the energetic component to how these symbols make you feel. Yeah. Right. So... And if you go online and you look up like Syrian light language or Pleiadian light language, there are people, there are movements of people that channel this light language in the same way that they sing it, but they write it. Yeah. So in my vision, I saw what appeared to be sort of like these hieroglyphs of light language. Wow. Were you able to remember it and like rewrite it and look it up? No. I tried to. Ah. You know, when you're like two miles into the... And a hike in the middle of nowhere, the I guess there's that. In the middle of the forest. <laughs> right. You know, I definitely didn't have a pencil and paper there. Yeah. You know. Next time. Next yeah, time. Yeah, next we'll time. be prepared. Next time I come a little bit more prepared. Yeah. But that was also <laughs> the first time I'd made snow angels in my life, too, by the way. What? Yeah, I never just never got around to doing it. Have you made snow angels before? Of course. And I'm from Texas, and we never get snow. Really? Yeah. Well, in Houston. Yeah. I think it snowed, like, two or three times my whole life. Yeah. It's an empowering thing. I mean, yeah. it, it, it basically it spoke to my child inside of me that's never done that before yeah the, the, the closest i got into snow angels was seeing like ralphie in the christmas story and like do it you know <laughs> you'll shoot your eye out exactly you'll shoot, you'll shoot your eye out <laughs> you remember that movie <laughs> it's a little stupid but they still they still play that movie every christmas on the loop for like 24 hours a day during christmas oh yeah it's the best though you know yeah, and and that's that story that actually got me into drinking Ovaltine. I was like in a, a thing for a while with that. Are you serious? It's like chocolate milk, basically. Oh, it's you don't so like chocolate gross. milk? No. I mean, I don't drink milk anymore, but I mean, chocolate flavored soy milk yeah. is delicious. Ugh. You don't like it? Gross. I'm not a milk drinker. Yeah. 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 There was that section of the movie where he like that kid stuck out his tongue and he like licked like a I think like a light pole or something. Yeah, and it got stuck. Just like dang, the best. cold world. Those kids are kids assholes. Are yeah. Yeah, they're really crazy. Young kids are mean as hell. I mean, yeah, I, I think back on when I was young and how mean kids were. Yeah. yeah. I hope it's not still that way. I think it, it's worse. It, it's not that way in person. Yeah. It's that way, like on social media, like Ugh. on YouTube and things like that. If you go into, you know, the best possible YouTube video you could imagine and you look into the comment section, there's somebody in there, probably some 14 year old kid that's just some little troll crapping all over everybody's hard work. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a real thing. So, um, yeah, I just was thinking, have you ever licked a a telephone pole and got it stuck like that? No, but I've got my um my lips and my tongue stuck on a piece of ice. Really? Yeah. What was that like? Like painful? Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. It's like being burned. 
Oh, yeah. You didn't have to like, which do is the, not what you would think. You didn't but. do like the warm water to get it to release. Did you? No, it just, you just sort of like, yeah, it just melted because your mouth is pretty hot. Like it melted pretty quick, but oh, really? yeah, but it felt like being burned. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't fun. Yeah. I, the only thing, one thing that I think about, and maybe I put it on my bucket list is just, is, is making like snow into a snow cone. Yeah. You know? So I had some Shasta. I mean, it's essentially Shasta water. I, I took some of the, the, the snow and kind of drank it. It was really, really nourishing. That's but cool. so when I saw these lights, uh, at first I was like, Oh, what does this mean? There's a part of me that was like, Holy crap. Like I thought of maybe it was like an ocular thing. Cause mm-hmm. there are some people that have what are considered ocular headaches. Mm-hmm. And that's basically where it's almost like a tension headache. I, this definitely wasn't that, yeah. but, uh, a symptom of that is seeing lights. Yeah. Where you get like the, the colored lights and the little streams. Yeah. 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 Jeremy gets those sometimes before he has a migraine. Yeah. That's like an, yeah, they call it the aura before. Yeah. I'd had one before. Yeah. They suck. And I was at work and I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, God, what the like, hell's going on? Yeah, I know I had one to, too. Yeah. You don't know how to feel because it's kind of psychedelic in a way. Yeah, it totally is. You know, it's like just something just comes out of nowhere and it just sort of like enters into your field. And, you know, I, I look at the, the spiritual implications of it. I, I, when I did get it, I didn't really feel any fear. I was just sort of like something's communicating to me. Yeah. Right now. You know, so I didn't think that that's what it was because I didn't have a migraine. There was something very intelligent about whatever that energy was. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it wasn't something that I was supposed to interpret in a sort of English sort of understanding way. You know what I mean? It right. was more of like the feeling that I felt. And that feeling was a feeling really, really warm, very, very loving. And that I was exactly where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And it sort of unraveled itself as as the days went along while I was there at Mount Shasta. Wow. And um, there are all, all, there's different types of lore when it comes to Mount Shasta. There are people that I've seen or claim to have seen Yetis, Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. They are also a multidimensional civilization of beings that uh, exist on the third as well as the fifth dimension. So most of the time you can't see them. And the whole thing with Mount Shasta is that if you really want to get dialed in and tapped into what's going on there, you have to elevate your consciousness and expand it to a point where you could actually see these beings, mm-hmm. you know, Bigfoot being one of them and St. Germain being one of them and the Telos being one of them. Yeah. And um, I had read that there's this uh, civilization of people um, that are, they, they are Lemurians, but they exist, they they kind of peek their heads out a little bit. They call them the little people of Mount Shasta. And they're sometimes seen around the mountain by those with clairvoyant sight. Wow. Right. And the reason why they're invisible is because they're really, really afraid of human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't blame them. I'm afraid of human beings. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> so they have this sort of agreement with the Galactic Federation of Planets that allowed them to exist multidimensionally so that they could bypass having to interact with us. But mm-hmm. apparently from what I've read, because the dimensions and the veils are becoming so thin, um, there's going to be a point where they materialize into our three dimension and you'll be, a lot of us will be able to see them, mm. you know? And the interesting thing is when I was at Mount Shasta and I was at the base of the mountain, I remember looking up at the mountain and this was actually before I found out about these little people that hang out outside of the mountain um, I, I remember just seeing these like little weird, these little beings like on the mountain, 
Mm-hmm. They almost look like little Oompa Loompas. Wow. You know? What co- and what color were they? They were just like, the, because it was, the mountain was so far away. Oh, it was so far away. You but could just you see. You could just, you can, what, I mean, it was, it, it wasn't something entirely that I saw with my eyes. It was just something that I intuitively felt. Like there was energy up there and it was walking around. Wow. You know, if you go to Mount Shasta, like, and you're standing at the base of the mountain, going like, you sold. get it. Like you get it. Like there's something there. And apparently there are stories of people that have been walking through Mount Shasta and run into someone from Telos and there are caves apparently and the city that exists at the base of the mountain runs about 20 miles wide and there are actually different levels to it um actually pulled up some different levels we can go into them really briefly but in the most practical way I I Although I know that they exist on these alternate dimensions, I also think in a more practical way, like they, they, this is an actual place that you can get to because apparently the mountain's hollow. It used to be a volcano, but there are entryways somewhere around the mountain where you could actually hike into the base of it. No way. Yeah. And there are stories that you could find online where people that have been guided into the mountain and actually seen it. Shut up. Yeah what and they're they exist on levels so the first level is basically the 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 most of the people that live in telos exist on this first level it's more of i'm just going to go off of this website it's actually lemuriannconnection.com and i read about this but this is this is going to make it a little easier for me to go through but the first level is beneath the dome and it's where the administrative and public buildings and several temples are situated right the temple of mara is there and it, apparently it's like a pyramid shaped structure and it seats about ten thousand people at at once and that temple is dedicated to the priesthood of melchizedek it has a white capstone they call it the living stone and it was donated to them from venus Whoa. The planet Venus. How about that? Right? So right away, you know that there are some sort of humanistic qualities that they have. Oh, yeah. And the fact that they have administrative buildings there. Right. Right? So the second level is where all the manufacturing happens, and it's done t- basically to meet the needs of people. So you could essentially, we can look at them as pretty much hippies living off of the grid. Yeah. Living off the grid. Yeah, totally. Right? So they have their own sustainable um, way of living there. So that second level has the manufacturing, but also has the schools for children and adult classes. And people also live on this level as well. Wow. Right. So the third level is the hydroponic gardens. Oh, hey. Because right? if you're living in there, you got to find some way to make to, to get food. Right. I mean, they're not going across the street to Del Taco or anything. No. And I, I read somewhere that they're mostly vegetarian, right? Yeah, I imagine that they are. Yeah. Because if they want to maintain that sort of high vibrational energy, they're not going to get that with a burger. Yeah. Although there's always, you know, every civilization has this sort of stoners that like sneak out in the middle of the night and go and get those jack-in-the-box tacos. Do you know what I mean? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, you know, maybe some of them venture out of the mountain. Maybe those are the ones that they meet when yeah. when hikers discover them. That are catching a rabbit or something. Yeah, they're like, where are you going? They're like, oh, just sh- we just came back from Del Taco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so they have the hydroponic gardens there, and all their food is grown, and apparently it's about seven acres of land. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, they have very little soil there, 
and they use they don't use any chemicals or pesticides, which for obvious reasons, and it's completely organic and the highest vibration. Yeah. You know, so that's where the third level is. And then the fourth is also hydroponic gardening and then some manufacturing areas and some natural parks for the kids. Well, of course. Yeah. And in the fifth level, which from it says here is the, the last level, it's totally consecrated to nature, has tall trees and lakes, and um, it has like a park-like of atmosphere. It actually has animals and... Um, it's really, really well preserved. Yeah, these in in I think where the most of the civilization lives in this is in this area. Wow. You know, and you did, when I did some research on it, I mean, the number of people that they have living there is kind of up to question. Um, but apparently, it is a civilization that pretty much thrives. It says here, to complete the city designed to hold. Originally, it was designed to hold two hundred thousand people. And as far as I understand, because of what I read today, there's more there. Interesting. So it's almost like it's easy to feel because they're unseen and Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, we can't go back thousands of years in order to see how they lived. But human beings maintain their humanness regardless of who they are in what era of life they are on the planet. So, you know, a lot of us you know, have this sort of maybe fantastical take on maybe who they are. Mm -hmm. And while they may be able to, you know, project their spirits out into these higher dimensions, um, they obviously have uh, really, really strong sort of psychic abilities. Right. And being able to venture through these realms at the very core, they sound like humans. Yeah. Right. So their city is probably designed very much the same way. Um, Give and take, they probably have some, technological advances due to, I guess, their association with the Palladians and different other um, ancient civilizations that are there. So that's pretty um, cool. Yeah. I didn't actually see the Telos there, Yeah, but if I were to call it anything, I definitely felt them there. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I was, I was hoping to see Bigfoot though. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah. Give them some beef jerky. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, no. I, in, in the, my partner at the time, what I went with, um, she actually did see a Yeti there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And she's not the only person. I mean, there are a lot of people that see different types of things. I mean, you can see fairies there. You can see Yetis there. You can see all different types of things. But one of the most compelling, I want to share this with you because one of the most compelling parts of my trip was we were staying in this place, this, this, uh, resort place. And it was, it was a large house and they normally book it for retreats, right? Like I said mm-hmm. before, but because it was off season, we were the only ones there. Mm-hmm. So Airbnb, the people that ran it allowed us to just basically stay in the whole place. Awesome. So we had this whole place to ourselves and it was beautiful. Like they had like a library full of just like spiritual books. They had like Buddhas on the wall. I mean, it was, it was a place that definitely called out to the type of themes that we're into. Right. Right. So we ended up um, staying there for a few nights, but one night, well, not one night, but one morning we woke up Mm -hmm. and let me see if I can explain this the right way. So we, there was a, this, this handkerchief that I had given my partner as a present for um, Christmas. Mm -hmm. And that was in her bag. Mm -hmm. Right. And 
we both sort of wax poetic about the possibility of, of exactly how this happened. And there's no way it could have taken itself out of her bag. So we woke right. up one morning and this handkerchief was hanging on the wall. It was hanging on the wall. Like, so, like it was just hanging like, from something, for hanging from something as if something was there to hang it from. Right. So there was no coat rack. There was Whoa. nothing in, in this room. So it was like, like, like a magnet, like stuck to the wall. Okay. You know how like there, sometimes when you have, uh, when you're doing painting, sometimes you get a little speckles. Yeah. Which is still not enough to hold anything. Yeah. Right? right. We woke up and this handkerchief was literally hanging off of this wall. Whoa. Off of the tiniest, tiniest. When we pulled it off, there was absolutely no way that we can get it back on. Whoa. There was so it was such a delicate process. Like if if we, we picked it up and tried to rehang it on the same space, there was no way that that was gonna happen. Wow. So one, the handkerchief left the bag, yeah, made its way onto the wall. And two, something took it and put it on the wall. Yeah. And three, somehow magically was able to hang it off hang of this there. wall. Right. Wow. And so we woke up and I mean, the energy in that place was beautiful the entire trip. Yeah. You know, and there were some moments of shadow that came up because ultimately people go there for healing. Yeah. Right. So we, because you're in a safe container and even though that shadow comes up, ultimately you still feel held and cared for and nurtured and protected in that space. Totally. So there were moments where me and my partner were kind of moving through some energy that we needed to kind of resolve ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, we felt right away once we woke up that that was uh, a higher vibrational energy. It could have possibly been the telos. Yeah. That wanted us to know that we were protected and that we were safe and that, um, you know, that they were there. Yeah. So it was really peculiar that that happened. That is because so cool. There, there's, there was nobody else in the house. Yeah. It was just us. Right. You know, so that's just one of those magical things you can take away from an experience like that. Anything is possible. Wow. When those realms are vibrating as fast as they are. Right. You know, so again, the, the moral story is that Mount Shasta is a magical place. Oh man, I've got to go there. And it is, it is, has a, it has a really unique and special energy that you can't really explain unless you go there. Man. You know? Yeah. I read, um, I read a book about Lemurians. It's called Lemuria, the lost continent of the Pacific. It's, it was written, um, by uh, a Rosicrucian, actually. It's one of their publications. One of your relatives. Yeah, one of my relatives, right? And uh, I thought it was really interesting. A lot of the things that you said really lined up with what they said in the book. So Lemurians were could actually like choose whenever they wanted to die. So whenever you're talking about like, hey, there could be 200,000 people in this mountain. Um, When they're going through their death and dying process, it's a conscious choice, right? So Mm -hmm. they say, okay, I feel like I've served my purpose here. So now it's time to die. And they dig their own hole and get in the hole and go into like a meditation and then leave their body. So their family uh, will put some kind of solution on their body. So it just like dissolves away, but doesn't harm, harm the earth underneath it yeah so i thought that that was really interesting like whenever we were talking about people living in that mountain and also uh 
how their humanistic or their like human like qualities. Yeah. So the way that they're described in this book as being between six and seven feet tall, like right. so they're a little bit taller yeah. with larger foreheads, six, seven yeah. inches tall, mm. um, with a third eye type organ, and that's in between their eyes, and that's how they communicate. Mm. And they don't oftentimes they don't speak, they communicate telepathically. Right. So they don't need radios or our mm. type of technology right. it doesn't there's no distance in how far that they can communicate with another with yeah. another being which yeah. i thought was really cool that is interesting yeah and and the, the and you hear a lot about those stories in um a lot of eastern spirituality too yeah like sri ramana maharshi mm-hmm. a lot of these sages uh, they get to a certain point where they reach nirvikalpa samadhi and a lot of the way that they pass away is they just willingly drop the body. Yeah. It's like, they're no longer taking on karma in this life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are so open that, you know, they know the moment that it's going to happen. And then they, they, they more or less calculate the moment in which they drop the body. Right. You know, there was this, um, this guru that I went to go see actually was a, a pair of gurus. Um, one of them calls, one of them was pilot Baba. And um, I can't remember the, the name of the other woman, but they were really popular here in the West for their CDs. And CDs are basically um, uh, psychic gifts. It's mm-hmm. like, a, like a, almost like supernatural powers in some way. Mm-hmm. And while I don't get too lost in that sort of thing, because ultimately for me, it's about the practice, they have these really amazing abilities to... They, they did this demonstration you can actually find online where they essentially bury these people. Like they would bury him underground. I mean, he wasn't immersed in dirt. Like he was in a, right. like a, a cube or like a, a, a capsule underground. Mm-hmm. And he stood down there for like a month or two straight. And he was in meditation the whole time. So the issue with that is you can't breathe under there. Right. They didn't have any sort of oxygen um, tubes going up so that he can breathe. So he ultimately was in this state of meditation where he was in a different realm, but still also in his body. So that shows you how powerful the mind is and how, how conscious they are of their, their difference between their spirit and their bodies to where they ultimately call the shots. Yeah. You know? Wow. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Kind of like we have the internet, right? And if we want to know something, we just look it up. Mm-hmm. But the Lemurians, they would just meditate and tap into source yeah. and receive the information. Right. So, it's yeah. And you know what? Same, same, but different. Yeah. And we talked about um, that uh, interview that Joe Rogan did with Elon Musk. Yeah. Right. And the one interesting thing about that interview, I mean, we talked about him being an alien. Yeah. His He's whole definitely his, an his alien. Neuralink thing. Yeah. Uh, so any of you that's listening don't, aren't familiar with Neuralink. So Elon Musk is, has this, um, it's, it's essentially this, this program where, and there, I have mixed feelings about it, but it's happening nonetheless. And originally Elon Musk wasn't an advocate for artificial intelligence because he believed that humans were just going to fuck it up. Right. Right. But considering that we were already going down that route, he was just like, well, you might as well join them and try and do it in the safest possible way. So Neuralink is basically this program where it, it essentially at the very core is meant to um, help people that are like paraplegic or people that have heart conditions. I mean, it's really meant to help 
um, just the motor functions in your body. So yeah, it's like a chip. People with disabilities. Yeah, people with disabilities. It's a chip that they will end up implanting in the back of your skull, mm-hmm. right? They actually have to take a piece of your skull out and implant this chip. And it's basically like a computer. And apparently, according to Elon Musk, that it will allow people that are paralyzed to walk again. It will allow people that have heart conditions to sort of heal from that. What the fuck? But further down the line, and they, they talked about this in the interview, it's going to get to a point well, where um, it, it's obviously going to be connected to in a Wi-Fi sort of internet type of network. Yeah, right. of course. Because it, it serves as a computer. And the one thing Elon Musk talks a lot about is bandwidth. So it's the action of picking up your phone, dialing something in, putting it in a Google search, and then getting the results. And then, you know, it, you receiving that information, there's obviously a lag there, mm-hmm. right? That's the interesting thing is he's not even looking at the, the, the technical aspect. He's looking at the human aspect of it. How long does it take for us to get this information? Right. So he's, his, part of his objective with, with Neuralink is to get rid of that buffer. Right. So eventually when this chip is implanted into your brain, you'll be able to think something and in an instant you'll know. Right. What? So you'll if you want to know about you know uh, kung fu, like you know in the Matrix, you'll be able to download this sort of knowing. And they even talked about in the interview that you could actually save your consciousness onto this drive. So say five, ten years into the future, you wanted to reaccess that file, you could load it and feel exactly where you were at five or ten years ago in your body. Well, have you, this is way off topic, but, um, have you watched that new show that's on Netflix called upload? Mm, I, I think we actually talked about it before, but there are some people at my work that talked about it where it's basically like, it was like an afterlife thing. It's an afterlife thing where you, and this is such an American thing to do, right? Where you pay for, uh, pay for an afterlife. So the more money you have, the better afterlife you live (laughs) and you upload your consciousness into this, like this imaginary world where you, you know, live and they feed you and all this jazz. Apparently it's a really good show. Yeah, it is really good. A lot of people are talking about it. Yeah, no, it's really good. And it reminds me of this, right? Whenever you said like, oh yeah, you can just reaccess your consciousness. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I like like it when shows like that come up, regardless of how maybe Hollywood they are, but it's it's getting people more familiar with the afterlife. Yeah. And obviously you have to do it in such a way that it makes people feel safe with venturing into that realm. Yeah, absolutely. Because it could easily go into a more darker place because, you know, our Western civilization, we're we're programmed to think of anything involving afterlife stuff as being sort of dark. Right. So the fact that they have these shows, it kind of shows you that we're evolving in some way. I mean, it is the conditioning from religion, right? Because there's right. like the heaven and hell and nobody wants to go to hell. And if you're a bad right. person, that's where you're going and you're going to burn yeah. and eternal flames. Yeah. So, you know, I can understand why that would be scary for people when you're told that your entire life. Yeah, exactly. So whenever you have stuff like that, it's sort of like it's changing the narrative a little bit. It's, it, you can tell basically because of how good it's doing mm-hmm. that people obviously are interested in it. Yeah. And it's a funny show. It's like yeah. a comedy. Really? It's just, yeah, it's not, it's not serious at all. It's right. really funny. Yeah. I think you'd really like it. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out. It's not cheesy. It's like, yeah. well, it's a little cheesy, but a little in cheesy. the best way. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, 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 
it, it's different than just your average sitcom, obviously. I, mm-hmm. like, I just like the fact that these themes are starting to become more mainstream and right. more widespread. Yeah. You know, but the, the, the one thing that I was, thought was interesting about that interview, interview with Joe Rogan is, is when they started getting into the more um, uh, uh, dialing into altered states of consciousness where you could essentially save your feelings, your memory, and basically everything that you feel existentially onto this disc and play it back almost like a photo album 20 years from now you know there was a um back to tv there's this black mirror episode um called the grain i don't did you ever watch any of the black mirrors no what yeah no i don't watch tv oh my god okay well (laughs) so here's your homework here and these are two things you definitely need to watch so this episode about the grain was um it's a tiny piece of like rice size computer chip that's implanted behind your ear and you're able to um save and replay memories so like say you had a job interview and it went you know really well and you wanted to come home and show me Mm. you could you could pretty much cast it onto the tv and play back your memory for me to watch so and then you could access it at any time too if you had the grain yeah so some people there are people that were pro grain and people that were against it so you know some people didn't have it Mm. but i think uh, i wouldn't want anybody being able to hack my memories. And yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be a no lot thanks. of speculation and a lot of controversy around it because yeah. obviously Joe Rogan at a certain point, he was like, Holy shit, what is this? Right. Right. So if, if, if there are things that are just, you know, are going to happen, I ultimately at the end of the day feel that Elon Musk is a good person. Yeah. But I mean, it's stories like that, that spawn, uh, that make me think of, you know, what happened to the ancient city of Atlantis and Lemuria. Uh-huh. We get into these roles of playing with consciousness, ultimately being playing God. And we get into this place where we essentially blow ourselves up. Oh, man. Right? So the, the yeah. question when it comes to artificial intelligence that, 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 that often come up um, is, okay, well, what is, what is artificial intelligence really there to serve? Well, there to serve people, right? They're supposed to make life easier for your average man. Right. So the, the one question that comes up is, okay, well, how do you get a robot or artificial intelligence to make the same sort of decisions and rationale that human beings do? Right. Right. It's because if you had uh, maybe a house and you had artificial intelligence responsible for cleaning your house, mm-hmm. right? And so it would clean up your home and after a certain time, it would continuously find clothes on the floor, dishes in the sink, and it will calculate those things with such precision. And it'll get to a point where it asks itself, why is this house so dirty all the time? Mm-hmm. It's going to bypass, um, well, having to clean it, and it's going to say it's because of humans. Right. And instead of cleaning the house, it's just going to get rid of the human. Right. Right. Because that's, if you're looking at technology that advanced, I mean, it's going to go to the root and to the source of the right. problem. Yeah. It's so going to connect you, the dots for sure. And obviously, because we're the, the large part of the problem in most scenarios. Right. The issue is that, well, maybe the artificial intelligence are just going to turn on humans. Yeah. So that's a really big problem. And I think that's something that people should definitely consider. Yeah. When oh. it comes to this sort of thing. That's ex- that's the first thing I think of. Yeah. So while it is compelling to have this, this, this technology, I mean, we're not based off of our history. We're not very responsible with how we use it. I mean, has anybody seen Terminator? Come on. 
Yeah. We all know what happens. Yeah, exactly. And that and, and that was made a long time ago. When that movie came out, it was like, wow, that technology Whoa. seems so so far away. Far away. Yeah. And now we're in it's like watching Back to the Future, I think too. Yeah. Where they had hoverboards and shit like that. And you're just like we're <laughs> way we're way past <laughs> way past that. Although actually I think we do have hoverboards now, but you gotta have like a ridiculous amount of money in order to buy one of them. Yeah. But you know, yeah. like we're definitely in the future. You know, but oh, the one man. reason why I bring up um, Elon Musk is that um, it came up in their conversation that he said, eventually you get to a point where you can speak, where you could communicate without actually speaking. Because oh, instead of it being a psychic thing that yeah. we're tapped into our consciousness, we're communicating and through Wi Fi. Oh, fuck. That's you crazy. Know? And Joe Rogan's like, well, obviously that's a problem for him because if, if, if you know, you don't have to communicate using your mouth then where's the Joe Rogan show right. going, the, the podcast going to be? And think about how humans evolve, right? And then yeah. when people stop speaking, then mm. they lose their ability to speak. Right. So I it, that that's also um, definitely something to consider because in a lot of ways, language is the reason why we have most disconnects. Right. But I think it's just the going through the wrong door in order to make it happen. Right. Right. If me and you were at like a elevated level of, consciousness where we were able to speak in a telepathic way just like the atlanteans were yeah i think that'd be different but the fact that we're using this technology in order to do that um could be a bad thing but one of the other compelling things about that story is that how do we know that the atlanteans didn't communicate because of stuff like that right you know because they had this alien sort of technology and at the very core the technology that we have could also come from aliens oh yeah right so it's possible that maybe some Elon Musk and a few different incarnations ago created this very same thing that gave Atlanteans the ability to speak telepathically, which was essentially them communicating through Wi-Fi. Right. You know? Wow. <laughs> you never Whoa, know. I that mean, blows my mind. I, I feel like it, it, there is a psychic component to it, but... It just makes you question. You never know because that civilization was so far ago, so far long ago, you don't know whether or not it was a very similar type of technology. If they were have new if they were having nuclear wars between Atlantis and Lemuria, I mean Yeah. We have that now. Yeah, we're pretty close. You know? Yeah, yeah. We we definitely have that now. So um he says and and he remember he remember he asked him like, Well, how far away are we from that? And he's like, Oh, about five, ten years. Yeah. And you're just like, Holy shit. Holy shit. You know? That's and, and that brings up an entirely different level of questions, which is okay, well you're gonna have the birth of a superhuman. Yeah. And obviously those superhumans are going to master how to make money, mm-hmm. how to succeed. They're going to grind harder and learn more than your average person. And that's when we get into like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World type of shit. Yeah. Where you have even more division. Right. Because now you have this master race and now you have regular human beings. Yeah. Absolutely. So, or everybody has access to the technology and then money becomes worthless because everybody's right. on the same level. Right. And then we're back to being like the Lemurians and just working for, you know, your fellow brother and to stay alive. And that could be a good thing though. That could be a good thing. I'm down to, 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 you know, exercise the lessons and the skills that I've learned through going to different festivals and you too, because Burning you went to Burning Man. Yeah. You know, those are all just sort of like little- That shit works. It does. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Except in this case, you don't get sand in your ass, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, sand in your ass for months. For months? Oh, it's- 
still when really? I get in the RV. Uh-huh. I mean, the sand never goes away. That dust is like in there forever. Yeah. You know, I hear and, that when you go and you rent um, RVs there, when you go on Airbnb, you have RVs that people rent out specifically for Burning Man. Oh yeah. And there are these like ridiculous cleaning fees. That oh are yeah. With they that. charge you an arm and a leg to rent an RV. Yeah. We need to rent our RV for Burning Man actually, but we're always there and we're using it. So that's the problem. Yeah. But yeah, it's so, really expensive. To so rent. that dust, does that get inside of your RV? Oh, it gets, it's, fucking everywhere like, everywhere. like it's everywhere it's in like spots you like you don't even know how because i put my clothes in plastic bags like i separate them in yeah. ziploc bags uh-huh. and i will open a ziploc bag that was in another bag that was in a cabinet yeah. and there'll be dust inside of it yeah. and i'm like i haven't even fucking opened this yet and there's <laughs> dust inside <laughs> of this bag already like, how did you get in here yeah it's crazy yeah i guess that's just one of those things you know yeah, but yeah, that is. that experience in Mount Shasta was really beautiful. I imagine it'll be something similar to like maybe what you experienced in Sedona. So when you were walking through Sedona, did you feel like a noticeable difference in your consciousness? Oh yeah, a, a no? very noticeable difference. Did that yeah. happen like right when you came into it, or was it? It was it sort of like a gradual thing. It was. I I think it's gradual. Uh, yeah, it was gradual. Like as we were driving into Sedona, mm-hmm. the feeling got a little stronger and more overwhelming. And mm-hmm. there are certain areas where they say like, I mean, some schools of thought say that. Sedona is one large vortex uh-huh. and then you can go to the crystal shops and and get like maps of where the other smaller vortexes are that you can actually go and meditate yeah. or hang out. Uh-huh. So um, actually Allie, Allie and I went, uh-huh. um, I was there for work for a work event oh, really? and yeah. And at the oh. time I was single, so they said, Oh, you can bring your spouse. And I was like, Oh, can I bring my sister? So, so um, you went with Allie. Yeah. So I brought her. And what did as she my think date. about it? Oh, she loved it. Yeah. We went to, they have a really cool stupa there too, that we went to visit yeah. and we um, hiked up to one of the vortexes. I mean, it was, Oh, it was hot. It was yeah. hot. It was Texas hot. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we hiked up there and did like a little meditation and it was, it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, five stars, highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. They have these like little stones. I don't know if you remember them there. Somebody actually gave it to me as a gift. I forget the name of what it is, but you can actually purchase those little, um, tiny circular, the circular, the, rocks. yeah. Yeah. I forgot what they're called. The little orange ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I forgot. Apparently those hold a lot of um, energy. The same thing with like Mount Shasta. They have these, um, these, these patches of like, almost like moss that mm-hmm. you could get from these trees. And, um, they're really, really beautiful, but you can definitely feel the energy coming off of them. Yeah. You know, but like when you wave your hand over the, over the top of them, yeah. you can feel the heat coming off. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really, really subtle energy. But I was thinking about, um, the experiences that you've been having in your home. I was actually reading the other day about orbs, depending on the color you might be able to distinguish what type of energy that it is. If it's like a white color, apparently it's, it's usually like angels or guides. It could also even be one of the archangels too. Yeah. You know, I have Archangel um, Michael prayers all over the house and every room of the house. I have them Mm -hmm. hidden They're in a drawer or somewhere um, for that reason, right? For protecting the house. And that's interesting because I, I've gone to your house several times and I've never felt anything negative yeah. in that space so i think you're right i think it's probably the 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 energy of the vortex or just being located within proximity of something like that yeah you know you get those those um you know they're like hitchhikers yeah. where they're just passing through and they're like oh let's stop here this place yeah this place is vibing so. yeah exactly <laughs> it's a thing you know regardless of whether or not they're good or maybe lost or 
discarnate spirits, it's always the best to just be compassionate and loving and just sort of reroute them if they seem lost or confused. Yeah. You know? And, you know, obviously smudge your space, play a little bit more gong, but I mean, it feels great. Yeah, it, feel, it felt great, like being yeah. being in the space. So yeah, it's awesome. Now that's back to back to ground zero. So hopefully we can. Um, uh, the person who helped me with my home healing, if anybody is going through this the same type of situation, yeah. um, she does it remote, so she doesn't come to your house. Her name's Heather McCall, and she's at heathermccall.com. Heather McCall. We're actually, I think we're going to have her on here, right? Yeah, I hope so. I I sent her the info, so she said she. It sounds like fun, so um, I'm really excited to talk to her, and maybe she can give us some more information on these on these vortexes. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd love to speak with her about yeah, it for sure. Yeah, but it's been a wonderful journey talking over my magical adventure and excursion to Mount Shasta. If anybody's interested, definitely check it out. It's, it's a good time. And even if you're somebody that just maybe like a slackliner or likes to climb mountains, you can go and check it out too. But experience is different for everybody. Well, you, you sold know. me. I'm yeah. sold. I'm going. Yeah, you and Jeremy, you got to go. Yeah, You got to go. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a place that you... You obviously you can't go just one time yeah once you go there there's this 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 feeling that you get at the very end that you just obviously have to go back at some point yeah so if you guys are listening take a journey up to mount shasta if you're looking to find yourself or maybe learn a little bit more about these alternate dimensions definitely check it out the locals there will point you in the right direction you might be able to see some starships and at the very least maybe connect with your partner on a deeper level but until next time, my name is Eric. And this is Jen. Yeah. Have a good night, everybody. You can find us at www.divine-nobodies.com. If you guys are on YouTube, you can find us there as well. Please like and subscribe, as well as uh, if you're also on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and also subscribe. It'll really help us out. If you have any questions, you could also find us on social media on Instagram at uh, divine period. Nobody's period podcast. Yes. And on, uh, did you say Spotify? Oh, that's right. That's and a we're new on one. Spotify now. We're on Spotify now. So you guys can search us on the Spotify app. We're going to make our way there. Anyways, have a good night, everybody. Talk to you soon.